Well, thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon. It's good to see a room packed full of excited faces, you know, eagerly awaiting 25 minutes on fixed income. Who'd have thought? <laughs> Friday afternoon, and we're going to talk about bonds again for 25 minutes or so. But thank you for the opportunity you've given me and the ASA. Thank you for inviting us along to talk about what I think is a pretty relevant subject following on from some of the earlier presentations, and that is the challenge of how do we meet our income needs in, a, in what is a fairly uncertain world. I'm going to talk a little bit about fixed income. I'm talking to you about the way we think about it at Perpetual through the lens of some of our strategies, including our listed investment trust, BCI. But I sort of also want to sort of talk a little bit about Perpetual by way of introduction. Uh, following James, I suppose most of you may know, but for the benefit that uh, some of you don't, I'll just introduce Perpetual quite briefly. It was first started in 1886, some time ago. Uh, first chairman was the first prime minister. Uh, sorry, uh, Edmund Barden was one of, one of the board members, but the Fairfax uh, brothers was our first chairman. But we've grown up, I suppose, over time as managing money on behalf of trusts. And the first trust that we actually started managing in 1966 was then called the Widows and Orphans Benevolent Fund. And it was a climate that's not entirely dissimilar from today. Investors were confronted with low bond yields and low cash rates, and the income that was being generated from this pool of assets that we managed on behalf of widows and orphans was insufficient to meet their needs. So Perpetualist trustee took a decision to broaden that investment mandate to include Australian industrial shares. That became the Perpetual Industrial Share Fund. It became Australia's largest managed fund and second oldest managed fund. It's a good story, but it really is a story I share with you my, primarily to give you a sense of how our investment philosophy and our investment heritage has evolved. We call it quality, we call it value. What does that really mean? We look for good businesses, both on the equity and the debt side, and we look to invest either on the debt or the equity side at attractive levels of valuation. Quality gives us liquidity, it gives us certainty. And having an eye on the price that we pay for anything gives us good risk-adjusted returns. And I think in a climate where there is some uncertainty and there is some price risks, those investment disciplines can be pretty crucial. We manage about $28 billion, most of it in Australian equities. We also run some global equities, some multi-asset portfolios, and what I'm really excited to talk about, fixed income. We offer it pr primarily in pooled managed funds, but over the last couple of years, we've listed a couple of these products on the exchange, PCI and PIC, and I'll talk very briefly about, about those today. Just picking up on some of the conversations I've had and sort of similar conversations that I've had with people like my mum and dad, you know, there's some good news out there. We're suffering an ageing population. We're living longer lives. We're living longer, and that's fantastic. But longer lives mean more money to fund our retirements. And that's challenging in a world that you can see on this slide where bond yields are at record lows or near two. A lack of investment risk, as you would refer to it in this room, introduces a bigger risk for many, many investors, many clients, the risk of running out of money. But at the same time, we're living in this age of what you'd call quantitative easing, almost central bank intervention, by pumping money, cutting the cost of capital to ridiculous levels, and the price of many assets has risen. And that's just an indicator there using Schiller PE. So we face fundamental challenges. A lack of risk, not enough money, too much risk, the risk of losing money that in some cases can be quite hard to recover. Risk is asymmetric. If you lose 50%, you need 100% to get back in the black. If you lose 20 cents in the dollar, you only need 25% to recover your capital. So for many investors, many investors, particularly those investors that have worked hard and long to save enough money to fund their retirements, for some of them, the best way to make money 
is frankly not to lose money. And I think that's really why the relevance of fixed income is here today and you're hearing about some of these capabilities because the world is full of uncertainty but the beauty of fixed income can lie in its predictability. It doesn't have the cachet of equity markets, unfortunately, not necessarily as many good stock stories to tell you, but that's a shame because it's the largest capital market in the world. It's about three times the size of equity exchanges in terms of capitalisation. It's the oldest capital market in the world. Companies and governments were issuing debt well before the exchanges were established in Netherlands in the sort of 15, 1600s. And I'd suggest that it's the most important because it forms the pricing of all assets, be it the houses that we live in, the shares that we can trade in. In this world of, of complexity and, and, and size, we've deliberately designed a perpetual team of specialists, what I would call specialist lenders. I can't take you through individual bios given the limited time, but suffice to say that I'd say there are two characteristics that really fit within this team. We're patient and we're aware of risk. Opportunities can come and go. And our team's invested through cycles and has the patience and the foresight of waiting for opportunities, not necessarily deploying capital at all points through a cycle. Risk aware doesn't mean risk averse. We just want to invest so long as our unit holders, our shareholders, our investors are properly adequately compensated for that type of risk. I mentioned before we run around $28 billion, about $8 billion of that is in fixed income across a few different strategies, but primarily there are two fundamental goals that we seek to deliver. We seek to deliver an income stream that's predictable, that's reliable, that's repeatable, and we seek to deliver that type of income stream in what I would call fixed income-like stability, fixed income-like predictability. Andrew at Credit spoke about some of the similar themes, so I'm conscious of not necessarily double dipping, but it's fair to say that investors have been using other sources of investments for income. Things like, you know, fully frank dividends, absolutely fine. Term deposits, fine. Property from rentals, fine. But good portfolios have balance. And I think really the beauty of this type of product is it can bring balance to portfolios in a climate where there is some uncertainty. How do we think about fixed income at Perpetual? And I suspect how do some of you think about it? Well, you want your money back when you need it. You want capital stability, you expect type of liquidity, hopefully you'll get through the cycle and we should deliver a consistent and a predictable income stream. But importantly from portfolio design, what we want to design is a portfolio that has a low level of price relationship or for lack of a more technical term, correlation with some of the other things you might own in terms of equity risk. The way I talk about it with my mum and dad, that frankly if they could get a term deposit at 8%, probably wouldn't have to look at one of these investments, but they can't, is a well-managed fixed income portfolio gives you and your portfolio the confidence and the capacity to take risks in other parts of your portfolio where you can be better rewarded, like in equity markets. It's a hell of a tough subject to explain succinctly. The challenge is that many assets in fixed income sound awfully similar but can be remarkably different. Anything that you see in fixed income, be it a security, be it a bond, be it a term deposit, be it a fund, be it a lit, can fit somewhere on these axes of what you would either refer to as duration or credit risk. Duration risk is effectively interest rate sensitivity and credit risk is the risk that you lend to someone that doesn't pay you back. 
by way of interest in our products, we don't own interest rate risk, where what we would refer to as short duration, we move up and down with interest rates, and by and large, we look for very high-quality lenders in the terms of our credit risk, and I can talk about that a bit more. Every good fund manager has investment philosophies. We've got some principles. I can't labour through them all. I just want to make a couple of points to you. The key in fixed income is really about risk management. And it's ironic because people think about fixed income as lower risk and they don't think necessarily it needs to be managed. But fixed income is asymmetric. You make a good loan, you get your money back. You make a bad one, you might not. With shares, you can lose all your money. But conversely, the upside is uncapped. You know, mathematically speaking, you could have two shares, and as long as one goes up by more than the other falls, you make money. But if you do that in fixed income and you make one bad loan in a portfolio of two, you could be waiting 40 years to get your money back, which is pretty remarkable. So avoiding loss, proper diversification, being active, being liquid, being aware of what you buy and what price that you pay is crucial, given the asymmetric nature of the asset class. The challenge that we all face in environments where yields are low and returns can be suppressed is we chase returns at the expense of the attributes that we're actually seeking to avoid. And like anything in life, but if you push something too hard, it doesn't look like what you want when you want it. And it's true in fixed income. If you lend too far down the capital structure, if you lend too long, if you lend to a lower quality borrower, yes, you introduce higher potential yields, but you lose the beauty of the asset class, the visibility of the, the payback, the visibility to the cash flows. So there, if, if there is one motherhood statement I could share with you, lend high quality and don't lend too long, because that's the beauty of the asset class and that's the way we think about it at Perpetual. Again, conscious of the fact you probably heard a few of these stories before, but as a community here in Australia, probably blessed with one of the best performing stock markets in developed world history, we haven't had a huge allocation to fixed income. But the challenge is real and the challenge is genuine. I hear it. I hear it from my mum and my dad all the time. We're underinvested in certainty of assets. So at the same time, we're underinvested relative to some of our country peers. If you look at a breakdown of a SMFF fund, predominantly equities, term deposits, property income and so forth. It's a great opportunity for genuine diversification because good portfolios are not buying all of the best assets, but buying complementarity and building certainty into portfolios. What a world. There's a lot of talk about fixed income. Unfortunately, I've only got 25 minutes, so I can't go through it all. But we're seeing some interesting things as we get towards the end of sort of late cycle economics, of which I'm sure a few of the other speakers have talked about. Huge amount of debt in the US has been used to buy back their own shares. The credit quality of some fixed income indices has fallen. Durations got longer. Why wouldn't it? If I was a treasurer, I'd like to lend longer. When interest rates are low, does that mean you have to buy it just because it's issued? This chart runs out of date almost on an hourly basis. I think there's $16 trillion of negative yielding debt in global government bonds around the world. Pretty remarkable times that we live in. And this slide I just wanted to show you because I think it's quite remarkable. It's the Swiss government bond curve. It goes out to 50 years. Hopefully the people at the back of the room can see it. But out to 50 years, you're still getting nominal interest rates of negative. I don't know anyone who would feel sorry for a Swiss banker, but maybe they will today. Pretty remarkable worlds that we live in. Andrew talked about the size and the diversity of the credit market from the metrics perspective. We would agree. 
It's a big market. It's just not necessarily a commonly understood market or a traded market. Because like shares we can trade on exchanges, most debt securities are still traded over the counter or what they refer to as OTC. But it's a big market. It's a diverse market. It's only going to get bigger. And that creates great opportunities. But it also creates risks that you need to be aware of and probably thinking about managing or finding managers that can manage it for you. To that end, the Perpetual Credit Income Trust was launched and listed in May of this year, and it's performed pretty strongly since listing. It's designed to deliver a monthly income stream, 3.25% net above, above the RBA cash rate. It's deliberately designed to be quite flexible in its investment universe, and I'll talk about that. But we're not passive investors. We don't sit on the sideline and let markets take their own direction. We're highly active and highly disciplined. If we don't think we're being properly paid on your behalf for risk, why take it? Why not wait for that opportunity for us to better deploy capital? Who'd have thought that you can go home tonight and talk to your family and friends about what you spoke about at this session today? You can go home and talk about the capital structure. I'm sure that that will get the dinner table conversation going. But the, but the balance is the beauty of fixed income lies in this story. Bondholders rank first. We get paid our coupons before shareholders get paid their dividends. Conversely, if a company goes through some sort of challenge, shareholders contribute their equity before bondholders have to worry. So for us, our bias, knowing what we want to provide, liquidity, stability, low correlation, is always to be at the top of the capital structure. In fact, about 75% of the fund or the portfolio is invested that way. Andrew talked about some of the niche products that have come into the market from metrics perspective. They're investing in private loans. He talked about a group I wasn't sure in US high yield. We've got it all. We've got the entire investment universe and we've deliberately built it so because it's not just about trying to find the best returns, it's about managing risk. And different markets, different opportunities, different times, those opportunities can change. And we want to have a flexible investment mandate so we can manage the investments through perpetuity and repeatability. Because it all comes back to this challenge of how do we give certainty in a climate that doesn't necessarily offer it. We'll have the ability to invest through the capital structure. We start with a core of what I would call investment grade assets that are deeply liquid, tradable, and where we have conviction and we've done the deep analysis, we will allocate to high yielding investments like private loans and high yield bonds. We are one of the largest Australian fund managers. We're based here, but that doesn't mean that our opportunity set is that alone. We're very much domestically biased in what we do, who we invest for and how we think, but we're globally aware. And there are times that there can be great opportunities for us to buy credits in other markets offshore. It could be Australian credits, they could be offshore credits in different markets, but typically we'll always swap them back to Australian dollar interest rate or exchange rate risk and interest rate risk, so there is none of those risks associated in this fund. Risk management is crucial. What a boring subject, but it's true. Because it's all about loss, avoiding it. It's easy to say yes to everything, but on average we say no to four out of five deals. And everyone in our team is focused and disciplined and researched to avoid investing in securities that don't give us or our investors the line of sight and the predictability that we want to deliver to them year in, year out, like we've been delivering for the last 50 odd years. Lots of names up here. Some of them will be familiar to you. 
particularly those that trade on exchanges, some of them less so. Andrew at Credit talked a little bit about the non-rated market here, the bank loan market that's emerging. Fantastic opportunities. Loans, for example, we've made to Camp Australia at around 500 basis points above swap, or 5%. Since listing here, we've deployed some capital to some higher quality names. Loans for Asiano, I think, at about 5.4%. Qantas at about 4.8%. These are companies you may own equity in, but they won't pay you your dividends until they pay us our, our coupons. The beauty of these assets lies in their predictability. Quick snapshot on the portfolio. I'm just conscious how I'm going on time. It sort of lies there, and I'm sorry for all the font, and it might be a bit small, but we're at the stand. I'm more than happy to take any question. But as I talked about before, the key principles to think about is genuine diversification. I love concentrated equity portfolios, but I don't like them in fixed income. And our bias will be to, through a cycle, typically own about 80 to 100 securities. Currently, I think there's around 93, spread around 70 different issuers. The balance, as I said, is not to have interest rate, in this, uh, interest rate risk in this fund. There is none. The length of our loans today are probably a little shorter than there might be in a climate where we were less cautious. We're keeping them short because shortness gives us visibility. It gives us liquidity. On average today, it's about four and a half years. And the running yield, the coupon above cash, sits at about two and a half percent today obviously targeting three and a quarter through the cycle. The capital structure you can see down there, around 75% of the loans, and that's really what fixed income is, is top of the capital structure. Highly diversified, not just in terms of names, but sectors, it's important. Sectors can perform differently. You don't wanna be just exposed to banks. You don't wanna be just exposed to property. You wanna have diversity, not just in terms of, as I said, maturities and tenors, but in terms of sectors and industries. I don't know if I've whipped through that too quickly. I'm too excited. <laughs> but for me, I suppose a few points that I'd just like to sort of sum up on is congratulations for giving up a few hours of your day to listen to these subjects. They're important subjects. It's a tough world to invest. Work with firms, managers, and companies that can help you with those challenges. Everyone's talking about interest rates being low for a long time. I don't know. But I'd be conscious of buying the trade that everyone else has bought. I'd be conscious of locking in rates too long for too low. I'd also be conscious of pushing credit too hard. Keep it short, keep it high quality, and understand the role and the attributes that it meant to provide your total portfolio so you can invest in other securities with a greater degree of certainty. And always look for the attributes, not the returns. People can offer you returns, but can they offer you risk management? The beauty of fixed income lies in it being properly managed. There's lots of things that will impact the world in the future. God knows what we'll be talking about in the next 12 months, but what will make more of a difference to your total returns on any investment you buy is the price that you pay for it. Be cautious, be disciplined, and be ready to invest with investors that can do that on your behalf. Thank you for your time and have a good afternoon.